Welcome to the American Thoracic Society Assembly on Critical Care podcast. Our topic today is finding your niche in medical education. My name is Avi Cooper. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician, assistant professor, and assistant program director of the Pulmonary Critical Care Fellowship at Ohio State. Joined and co-hosted today with Viren Call. He's a pulmonary critical care physician at Krauss Health in Syracuse and an attending professor of medicine at SUNY Upstate Medical University. And our uh, guest today and uh, expert consultant is Laura Hinkle. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Indiana University. She's the associate program director for the Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine Fellowship. She's also the director of the clinical transitions curriculum for the medical school at Indiana University. Viren and Laura, it's great to get together today. It's good to be here, Ali. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me to join in on this discussion. So today we're going to be talking about different aspects of finding your, your niche in medical education. Um, and I wanted to, to start the discussion by talking about how, uh, how we differentiate being a clinician educator from just being a teacher. And then we can dive more deeply into what it means to, to carve a niche for oneself in that sphere. So Laura, do you mind just expanding on what the difference is between a, an educator and a teacher? That is a great question. And I honestly think the best way to define this is one that our program director, Gabe Baslett, uses when he talks to us on our very first day of fellowship here. And that is the concept of the big C, little e versus the big E, little c. And what he means by that is that if you're a big C, little e type person, your main focus is your clinical work. And you're going to have learners with you certainly on rounds and give lectures potentially to residents and students. But the education piece of it is a much smaller part of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Somebody who is a big E, little c, still has a decent clinical load, but that's not the main focus of their career. Somebody who's really, truly a clinician educator is someone who's also involved in not just teaching at the bedside and lecturing, but curriculum development, doing medical education research, potentially sitting on education-related committees through national organizations and things like that. And I think that's the big differentiator there. And to segue from what you were already describing, so which of these activities do you think are most high yield, uh, you know, especially from advancement standpoint for a clinical educator? So that really depends on your institution. There are some institutions that have a specific pathway for people who, has a, who have a main focus of education in their career, but not every institution has that. So a lot of it just depends on what your pathway to promotion is at your own institution. But things that are common typically across institutions is the need for getting regional and national recognition. Um, one of the best ways to do that is to get involved in a national organization like ATS and um, different ACGME, the fellowship program directors organization, different things like that and find a way to get involved. Obviously, publications can be important. You just have to have some way of documenting the work that you've done and the contributions that you've made to your institution and to the field as a whole. So which do you identify as? Are you a big C, little E, or a little C, big E? 
definitely a big E, little C. I spend about half of my time doing clinical work. The other half is spent on education-related things. So I spend a lot of time doing curriculum development and course design, medical education research. So, yeah, definitely big E, little C here. And at what point in your career do you think that that true distinction for yourself was clear, and how do you, you figure that out? So during my fellowship, I knew that that was eventually what I wanted my career to look like. I had some mentors in my institution who had careers that had taken that path, and I knew that's what I wanted. But as far as how I was able to get into that, it was really just a matter. So when I first took the position, I had no protected time and no formal education role. I was 100% clinical. And it was just a matter of as opportunities arose, I took advantage of them, even if they weren't 100% lined up with where I ultimately wanted to go. But I did that, got my foot in the door, got more experience. And then as I did that, more opportunities came up. And that's how I ended up where I am now. So, Laura, as I understand it, um, you're saying sometimes you just have to be at the right place at the right time. That's one. And then you evolve with the opportunities and you kind of build on your interests. Uh, does that sound about right in terms of trying to find your niche? Um, to some extent, yes. A lot of, and I feel like this is common with a lot of people who have made careers for themselves in medical education. A lot of it is just taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. A lot of getting those opportunities is getting the word out and telling people, hey, this is something I'm really interested in. Let me know if anything comes up. But some of it, too, can be just looking for opportunities to insert yourself into a situation. Do you see something that needs work? So possibly one example of that would be if you don't have a formal ultrasound curriculum in your fellowship and that's something that you have a passion for is ultrasound and teaching others how to do it, you could propose, hey, I'm willing to do X, Y, Z and develop an ultrasound curriculum. And that could be your way to create an opportunity, even if one doesn't just present itself. So it's a combination of, yes, being in the right place at the right time, letting people know about your interests, and then creating opportunities when you have a chance to do so. Got it. So what are the different areas of focus within MedEd that you can build a niche around? That is, it's a great question. It's one that's a little hard to answer just because there are so many ways that you can go about it. So for some people will focus strictly on undergraduate medical education and their career is focused on medical students. Others do graduate medical education. Some people focus just on the faculty level. You could be looking at curriculum development and even within that becoming a specialist at developing either curriculum that's live lecture based or maybe developing a curriculum that's entirely made up of asynchronous modules, um, hands-on sim center type content, so lots of different things. And then even taking it a step further, looking at, for example, the ultrasound curriculum would be an example of taking a clinical interest and turning that into an area of education focus that could be your niche. We recently hired one of our new graduates to be an APD in the program with his goal of his education focus being creation of an ultrasound curriculum. And that's going to be his niche within medical education. So it's, it's really whatever you make of it. There's just tons and tons of opportunities out there and lots, lots of ways to make this whatever you want it to be, really, and to find something that's of interest to you. I'm sure I could keep going with other potential niches, but we'll stop there. 
So if you were to kind of sum up your your own niche in a in a few sentences, how would you describe it? Um, giving this some thought, I would say transitions and training, because my main role within the fellowship as a PD is to work on our initial July med school month. Our new incoming fellows spend the entire month of July getting education on pulmonary and critical care topics, and it's a combination of didactics and hands-on sim center review of procedures and a bronchoscopy course, and then some time rotating on the different services that they'll be on during their fellowship. And my role with the medical school as director of clinical transitions, the main focus of that is creation of a boot camp, basically, that is a transition to residency boot camp. So my niche spans across both UME and GME, but I would say that's probably the big focus of it is just transitions and training. And how did you make that known to uh colleagues, both at the local and national, international level, uh, to make that visible that you yourself, that this is a space that you wanted to inhabit for your, your academic career? So that is a great question. It was a mix of just things falling into my lap, basically. So when they asked me to be APD, this was something that they wanted me to take on the July med school month. And I knew from my time as chief resident that putting together stuff like that is that's something that I really, really enjoy. And then from that, I ended up getting these other positions offered to me, and I knew that that was something I'd be interested in. So, so it's a little bit of both. And I had, I honestly did not know that the director of clinical transitions position existed, but I had talked to our dean before just about being interested in helping with medical education and some of the specific areas that I had been working in. So like I said, a little bit of things just kind of falling into my lap and then also getting the word out. And as far as nationally, really a lot of that was just getting involved with, with APS, even as a fellow, and taking the opportunities that were there to be involved and be a part of the organization, and then more things kind of came along. I don't have a specific transitions role, obviously, through ATS or any other national organization right now, but just locally at least, I think that's what people recognize. That's interesting. Uh, Laura, talking about taking on new roles and new responsibilities um, on the way to building, of you know, finding your niche, what kind of resources uh, have you realized or do you think uh, we need or trainees need to build a solid medical education profile? I think one of the biggest ones is making sure that you have a good mentor in medical education who has a career that maybe isn't in the specific niche that you're hoping to focus your career on, although I feel like a lot of fellows may not even have that kind of granularity yet. They just know they want to do medical education. But having somebody that can help get you on the right track, and then as you develop those specific interests, they'll be able to help put you in contact with the people that can help you make that happen and kind of guide you with, okay, you need to make your interests known, talk to this person, this person, this person locally, those types of things to help you make those connections. I think that's one of the biggest things. Other things that trainees can do would be to look for different um, faculty development opportunities. So at Indiana University, they do a ton of faculty development, and it's free and it's available to fellows as well, and just different things. So some of it's on writing good objectives, some of it's on curriculum development. There's like a whole host of things, and you can pick and choose 
and take some of those opportunities. Other things that you could look into if you were very serious about turning this into a career, some institutions actually have a um, master's degree in medical education. And sometimes you can do that at a reduced tuition rate if it's something that your institution offers. So that's something else that people could look into if this was something, if they really saw themselves as a biggie little C kind of person. Do you think that your mentor, your primary mentor should inhabit the same niche as you? Do you think that's beneficial to that they're operating in the same space? Or, or is it actually advantageous to have a mentor who thinks about things in a different way and, and has a different career focus from you? That is a really good question. And you could kind of take that two different ways. I mean, one way, obviously, if that person has the same niche as you, they may know a little bit more about who to put you in contact with or how to really get your career up and running quickly. At the same time, if you're hoping to stay at your home institution for a position, faculty position after your fellowship, if they already occupy that niche, it's not as likely that you're gonna be able to do that as faculty, if that makes any sense, because that role is already filled. So if you're really hoping to stay where you are, you might want to find a different niche and another need at the institution that fits with your interests that you could potentially step into a faculty role and fill that need. And as you pointed out, it is sometimes also just helpful to have somebody who takes a different perspective on things. So I don't think that it's, I don't think it's absolutely imperative by any means that your main mentor have the same niche as you do. And a follow-up to that, if you're trying to, if someone's trying to find a, a specific niche to work in and really develop there, is, is there a benefit to having a, a mentoring panel per se, or can you have too many cooks in the kitchen? Yes and yes. How's that? <laughs> I do think having a handful of people is helpful just to get those different perspectives and they don't all need to be physicians either. I have had some mentors before who were heavily involved in faculty development and communications and they were some of my research mentors and that was really helpful to have that other perspective. But you do have to be careful about the too many cooks in the kitchen because I had a little bit of that as a fellow. I had several people on my mentor panel and they were not always in agreement about best next steps for me in my career and that can be that can get hard so you need to just strike the right balance of having enough people on your mentor panel that you have a good breadth of advice but also understanding what their areas of expertise are so for example I wouldn't have gone to my communications person to ask about where I should be looking for faculty positions because they're not going to know the divisions around the country and anything like that so so I think that's just helpful to keep in mind what advice you want to take from the different people on your panel so talking about mentors with different experience um, and skill sets as well as different sort of ability to guide you as well as you know our own evolving interests what I would love to understand is how do you transition uh, away say from opportunities uh, as you grow as an educator how do you know what to I know you said take what you get initially, which makes sense. But then as you're trying to transition away, how, how do you, you know, kind of navigate that? I don't think it would be all that difficult. I have not had to do that yet because I just ended up accumulating the things. I, I was fortunate. I ended up accumulating the things that were in my areas of interest. But 
the best way to do that would just be to talk to the person that's over you, the dean or whoever it is, and just say, hey, you know, the further I've gotten into my career, I've discovered that my passion is really this over here. And I mean, I wouldn't just drop anything cold turkey, obviously, you need to give them time to find somebody to take your place and to train that person and orient them to the position and everything. But yeah, just tell them, you know, I really feel like this is my passion. This is my area over here. And this thing I'm doing right now really doesn't fit with that. And it doesn't make sense for me to continue in that I'm not going to be able to give it my best effort when my interests really lie in this other area. I think that's great advice. Avi, I guess, um, you know, you and I are fledgling medical educators with uh, an interesting mix of CNE. So, and you're already an APD. So one thing that would be great to know is that as you're advancing in your career, right, what is the, how important is it to collaborate, right, across institutions, across uh, even departments of specialties? Uh, and the reason I'm putting this question out there is because, you know, I'm interested in social media, both as a research tool and as, as a teaching tool. Um, so if, if what's the importance of collaboration and then how do you see social media fitting into that as you're growing um, into the role of an educator in 2019? So I think collaborating with other people at different institutions is hugely helpful for a couple of reasons. One is that you'll get exposed to different ideas and ways of doing things, and more often than not, we'll come up with some great ideas to incorporate into your own work at your own institution. But also, just from a promotion and tenure standpoint, being able to make those connections with people at other institutions is going to help tremendously with building that regional and national reputation, which is really important. And most often, you also end up getting publications out of those types of collaborations, which is really helpful as well. As people are kind of building their, their kind of their network, whether that's a social network, but also their um, academic network, what, how, can, how can ATS be helpful to, to educators interested in, um, in growing their, their educational profile deliberately? I think the mentoring program that is offered to the ATS every year is really helpful and a lot of people don't recognize that you can take advantage of that as junior faculty as well. I know I didn't realize that when I first graduated from fellowship and had my faculty position, but I took advantage of that this last year and was paired with somebody who had a lot of interests very similar to mine and he gave me some fantastic advice as far as what my next steps career-wise should be and kind of where to go from here, what opportunities to look for, and even some ways to get more engaged with ATS. So I think taking advantage of that program is a phenomenal way to do it, and ATS already offers that. Also, I would say for anybody who's looking to make those kind of connections, going to the assembly meetings and the section meetings, at the international conference is a great way to find out what's going on, find opportunities to get involved and collaborate with people, and just even hang out and meet people who have similar interests, and even if it's not an official ATS-sanctioned project, to make those connections to be able to do research projects or collaborate in other ways across institutions. So I would say just getting yourself out there, and I'm sure the same is true even at other meetings as well. I'm most familiar with ATS. I know one piece of advice that uh, before we close that, that I was 
given when I was a fellow was when I was trying to figure out what, um, what niche I wanted to carve for myself, that I should think about it like a TED talk. And what, if I had to give a TED talk or was invited to, what would I talk about? And that's probably what my niche is or should be. And interested to hear, Laura or Viren, what you guys think about that, that advice, that approach. I think that is a great piece of advice. It honestly sounds kind of similar to what I usually tell medical students who are trying to decide what career path they want. Because I'll usually tell them to look through some journals and if they feel like everything in there looks incredibly boring and they have no interest in any of the topics in there, they're probably not going to want to engage in lifelong learning in the specialty if they have nothing of interest when they flip through. You know, I mean, obviously there are specialty editions and whatever that they, but you get the general idea. If they don't, if they don't love the specialty enough to keep learning about it, then that's probably not what they should go into. I have a similar uh, thing that I tell my trainees that, you know, think about what you would be happy, happy, completely happy doing in 10 years. Suppose you were not practicing clinical medicine or other aspects of medicine, but just doing that part. If you think that you could do that all the time and be happy, that's your zone. If you have doubts, that's okay. Find out more, look at other things, and that's all right, too. I'm very open to finding out, so that's what I would say is important. Well, Laura, this is great. Thank you so much for offering this advice for us and for, for people listening. Viren, do you have any take-home points that you gathered from Laura today? Yes, so I, I do consider uh, Laura a mentor, uh, and I have uh, had the opportunity of learning from her along the way. But I want to summarize all that Laura's told us today. Uh, so some things that really stood out to me is one, thinking about whether you want to be big C, little E, versus little C, big E, meaning are you predominantly a clinician or an educator, and working on that focus, because that will help you develop a niche. Uh, considering your interests deliberately, um, thinking about what will let you give your TED talk, as Avi would say, or what's going to keep you happy in the long term will help you find that niche. Finding mentors, uh, we it looks like we've decided that having different mentors from different skill sets and interest areas is great. Um, but just to make sure that it doesn't overwhelm you in terms of the advice you're getting, uh, remembering that we can always um, pick the advice that we feel is best for us. Thinking about your learner population, do you want to work in undergraduate medical education, graduate or continuous medical education, can also help find our niche. And lastly, networking at national and international levels, institutional levels is key uh, for building collaborations, getting funding, and progressing and advancing in our careers. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for offering your expertise and advice today. I know Darren and I really enjoyed it. It was great having both of you uh, on this podcast, Laura, and I'm sure that the ATS Critical Care Assembly members will have a great time learning uh, on how to build a niche in medical education. Thanks, guys.